This true first-person story was recorded in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club in Hong Kong. It was told in June for a show with the theme of Glutton for Punishment. Francis has become a regular fixture on our stage, and we love to see his stories develop in our workshops. That's how audience members and listeners become storytellers. They find our group on Meetup and head over to a workshop where they're taught how to tell their best story by our, by our hosts. It's free and even fun. You have a story in you, too. And if you want to learn how to tell your best story, sign up on our Hong Kong Stories Meetup page, like us on Facebook, or go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Now, here's Francis. I sat in the back of the courtroom, not knowing what to expect. It was the early 1990s, and I was a fresh graduate, making my life as a travelling salesman in the middle of one of the worst recessions Australia had experienced. In fact, the treasurer at the time, Paul Keating, described the recession as the one we had to have. It was also a recession that put me in legal purgatory. On one hand, I didn't qualify for legal aid. On the other, I couldn't afford a lawyer. So I was left with no choice. I was forced to digest reruns of a television series called LA Law to allow me to defend myself. I'd been caught turning left from an incorrect lane. Now, it may seem trivial, but when it's then trumped up as a points-deducting negligent driving offence by a young, brash, aviator sunglass-wearing uniformed policeman parading around in an unmarked police car, hailing citizens just for the hell of it, well, that, in my view, means that things move from the trivial to the serious. And what complicated things was that I also had another problem, and some of you know what my problem is, ones that have heard other stories. I'm actually an addict. I'm addicted to my own opinions, and I'm never wrong. So there I sat in the back of the courtroom, ready to defend myself from the charge and plead not guilty. And suddenly I see an old schoolmate of mine who evidently is in court because he's been a naughty boy from the moment we left school. But that wasn't actually a bad thing. You see, he could actually teach me everything about the courts that LA Law couldn't. And it was probably the first time I thanked my parents for sending me to a naughty boy's school. Mark's view was pleading not guilty was going to be an error of judgment tactical mistake. Because firstly, they'd set a trial date, which meant I had to come back to court, meaning I'd have to take more time off. And for a salesman, that's problematic because time is money and money is time. And there was another problem. I'd have a new judge. And as it happened, I liked the judge that was there. I could see that he was trying to make tense moments lighter. He was also empathetic, and where appropriate, he was also sympathetic. I clearly remember the case where the lawyer stood up pleading for his young client's life. 
but only to be broadsided by his client's consistent mistruths to the point where the judge adjourned the, adjourned the court hearing to allow the two of them just to get their facts and therefore stories straight. And then there was the unemployed but clearly guilty defendant that the judge let go without charge, only fining him $40 per court cost and allowing him six months to pay it. Wisdom teeth, $40. That seems overly generous. How would I know? Perhaps that was the norm. This is my first time in court. So there I sat, trying to work all this out. I kind of got that pleading not guilty may be a tactical error. But how could I plead guilty when, in my opinion, I'm never wrong? So I was processing in my mind what I should do, what my final plea would be. But before I could make that decision, my name was called out and the charge was read. The defendant was seen driving a standard issuance salesman's car. Registration number ABC123XYZ. He was seen moving over multiple lanes in order to make a left turn, endangering other drivers, passengers, pedestrians, and possibly himself. And on and on the police prosecutor went until he finally played his trump card with his closing remark. And when the defendant was confronted, he said, quote, I'm sorry, my mistake, I was in a rush, my apologies. Full stop, end of quote. Judge looked at me and asked, Well, sir, how do you plea? How does he think I'm going to plea? The, the police prosecutor has just told him that I had actually admitted guilt immediately after I was pulled over. So there I was, giving myself a congratulatory pat on the back for incriminating myself before standing up and pleading guilty. But my need to be right compelled me to explain that if I lost points, it would affect my driver's license and therefore my job and possibly my livelihood. And then I'd launched into an, into an impassioned plea to justify my guilt in a way that only a trained salesman could possibly do. Because you're taught not to worry about the result, because if you get the process right, the result would take care of itself. So there I was explaining to the judge, my process for changing lanes was perfect. I looked in the rear vision mirror, there was no car. I flicked on the blinker early to give forewarning. I looked over my left shoulder to cover all the blind spots. And it wasn't so much a hard left turn, rather a veer to the left at a fork in the road. And my process was perfect, everything was safe, and no one was hurt. No one was hurt. My explanation truly was the truth. But I'm sure the judge had heard that all before. But something I said must have resonated with him. Perhaps he just felt sorry for me. Perhaps he thought I was young enough, and I'd learnt my lesson in I wouldn't re-offend. Or maybe he understood that police embellish charges from time to time to justify their actions. 
whatever it was, it didn't matter. I just needed the process to look after the result. And it did. With one question, he dismissed the charge. How long will it take you to pay the court costs? Forty dollars. Three months, your worship, was what I wanted to say. But sanity prevailed before my mouth opened. Best not to say. Six weeks, your worship. Six weeks? Six weeks to pay $40? The judge bellowed before giving me some uninitiated but sage advice. Six weeks to pay $40? Son, I'm not sure what job you do, but if you need six weeks to pay $40, may I suggest you need to find yourself some new work. What good reason would anyone have, let alone you, to ask for six weeks to pay $40? And he wanted an answer. I took a deep breath, composed myself, and replied respectfully. Your Worship, I don't know if you've seen, but outside, we've got a recession. To which the courtroom bellowed in fits of laughter as we settled at four weeks, allowing me to leave the courtroom triumphantly, stopping only after my friend Mark ran out to stop me to say goodbye. Chungy, Chungy, wait, mate. Mate, mate, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in court. And coming from Mark, who'd been in court quite a while, that was a pretty big compliment. But you know what? It wouldn't matter how big a compliment was, no compliment would ever, ever get me watching reruns of LA Law ever again. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends and keep an eye out for our weekly podcast published every Wednesday. If you're lucky enough to be in Hong Kong, grab yourself some tickets for our next live show. Details can be found on the website. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>